fasting from the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Many of you know who LeBron James is. I don't think any of, you, any of you need an introduction. LeBron James is one of the best basketball players in the NBA today. Uh, he's 36 years old. What's remarkable about this man is that when you're usually 36 and you're playing professional sports, you kind of wind down your career. Uh, most men his age that are playing in the NBA, there aren't too many of them, they're coming off the bench. They cannot play a full game. LeBron James is still by far the best player in the NBA today. If you were to start a team and you had a choice to pick one player to win a championship this year, not five years from now, everyone who knows basketball would pick LeBron James because he makes a team that much better. I don't know if you know this, but LeBron James spends $1.5 million on his body every year. That's a lot of money. You would think, what? How could you spend $1.5 million on your body? He does. He spends $1.5 million on his body. I assume it's got to do with his diet. He probably has chefs cooking for him. I'm sure his trainers and all those different things, the supplements he's probably taking. But he is literally investing that much in his body because why? Because he's a professional athlete. And I think when you and I hear that, it inspires us. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you want to be at the top of your game, even at age 36, you got to do something. you got to sort of amp up your workouts and what you need to do to get to that level. LeBron James doesn't just want to, he doesn't want to just win games. And I would even go as far as to say he doesn't want to just win championships. His goal is to be the greatest basketball player of all time. That's his goal. And he's got a lot more work to do if he wants to get there, right? No offense to those LeBron James fans. But, uh, but he's got more work to do. But he's number three on the all-time scoring leader. And so he's only behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Wilt Chamberlain. So he's getting there. He's getting there. But he trains because he's a professional athlete. I believe God is calling you and I to do likewise. And the reason why we started this sermon series back in January is because the Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is Jesus' attempt to really help you to understand that he's calling you to be a spiritual athlete, not a spiritual couch potato. What's a spiritual couch potato? There are often people who kind of approach their relation with God so that God can kind of bless them, uh, protect them, keep them safe, and they just kind of live within their comfort zones. They don't really think about ever doing things for God or living out the purpose in which God has called them to. They just really think about more, they see their faith as God blessing them and that God has to kind of answer their prayer request. That's a spiritual couch potato. God's calling us to be spiritual athletes. He wants us to get to a place where we'll be willing to train ourselves, not so that we can bring glory to ourselves, so that God could use us, so that we can go and advance his kingdom. Because I don't know if you've watched the news. This world is broken. And there's an enemy that's winning a lot every day all over the world. It's winning here with the virus, winning here with the racial injustice. The poor seem to get poor. The rich seem to get richer. You see what's happening in India, of course, in the Middle East. There's a lot going on. The church is more divided than ever. And God is encouraging us. Jesus is trying to help us through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's trying to help us to rise up. To say that we are called to be spiritual athletes because God is calling us to an incredible game. And the challenge is, are you willing to play? Because if you're going to play, you got to train. You have to train. God has called us to be agents where we can transform his kingdom, establish his kingdom here on this earth. And what that means is to set the captives free. 
It means to let people understand what it means to be a follower of God so they can encounter his mercy and his grace in powerful ways. It means that God would use us to demonstrate his power in many ways as well. And God calls that for each and every one of us. It's not just for the pastors or certain people. He wants everyone to participate in being a spiritual athlete. And so we started this year, we spent eight weeks talking about these virtues, these beatitudes. They're not easy, right? And then Jesus goes on and then he talks about the sixth antithesis. When he says, you have heard it say before... But I tell you, and those were hard, wasn't it? He said, if you've heard it say, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Those are not easy teachings. Again, spiritual athletes are willing to put in the work to get there. And then for the past couple of weeks, we've been, Jesus has been highlighting these righteous acts that he wants us to participate in. The first one was give in secret. Be generous with your money. Don't hold it for yourself. If God's blessed you during this pandemic, give it away. Bless his kingdom through it. The second thing is prayer. Shirley talked about that last week, right, prayer. And the most important thing about these two righteous acts is that we do it in secret. No one should really know what we're doing. Because if we don't do it in secret, many times we're doing it for our own self-glory. The last righteous act that we're going to talk about today is something that a lot of us don't really do very often. And that's fasting. I think that's the next level. That's the LeBron James level. That is the level that we're willing to go through to train ourselves so that we can get to the next place, so that we can fast and we can train ourselves so that God could use us to advance his kingdom. I do believe that many of you have a schedule in how you give. You even have a plan in how you do that every year. My wife and I like to talk about that every year. What are we going to do? How are we going to give more of my money, our money away this year? So we have a schedule. We talk about it. We think about it. I believe a lot of you schedule times when you're going to pray. But how many of you schedule times when you're going to fast? How many of you see fasting as important as praying? The key to fasting that Jesus says is that you got to do it in secret. Now, why fast? Because, I mean, I love eating. We all love to eat. I mean, nobody here, I mean, there's some, I, there's a few people that just, that they're not foodies, but we're all foodies, aren't we? Like David Hosang, if, like, somebody didn't give him food, he wouldn't eat. Like, when Betty travels... She would have to remind him to eat because he would just not eat all day. Because he's not a foodie. But for me, I'm a foodie. I travel just to eat. My wife and I, Jenny, we travel to Vegas in March. I planned this trip 18 months ago. The reason why I planned this trip 18 months ago was not because we gamble or anything like that. But I love going to Vegas because I love the buffets. They have the best buffets in the world. And I haven't gone in about five, six years. And I keep hearing about the Caesars Palace Buffet, how good it is. And so we planned this trip 18 months ago. We went, and it was all closed because of the pandemic. I was so sad that every buffet was closed, all right? But we, had, we did other restaurants and stuff like that. But again, now I still want to go back because I want to try out these buffets. I like good buffets. I don't like the cheap ones. All right, I'll spend some good money on a good buffet. Our pastoral management team on Friday, we went to an all-you-can-eat sushi buffet here in New Jersey. Fantastic. I love to eat. I know you love to eat. And some of us are saying, but do we really need to fast? Yeah, we do. We do. And uh, today Jesus is going to help us to understand a couple things. First, what is fasting? we got to answer that question. Second, what is the purpose of fasting? And then third, why? Why do we fast? i got five reasons why. And those whys lead to the rewards that Jesus talks about. So in, the, in this three righteous acts, Jesus talks about the word rewards appears six times. That's quite a bit. 
what are the rewards that God is talking about? It's not just rewards when we go to heaven that Jesus is going to give to us, but the rewards that he gives us here on earth. We're going to talk about these five rewards that we get if we're willing to commit ourselves to become spiritual athletes today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 16 to 18. Just two verses, three verses. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. I'm reading from the NIV version. Jesus says this, when you fast, understand what he says here. He doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So that means Jesus just expects all of us to fast. He actually took it for granted when he was saying this and he was teaching this to his disciples. He never, I don't think Jesus even imagined that there would come a time in a point of history where Christians would opt out to fast. So that's why he says when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is fasting? What is fasting? Strictly speaking in the Bible, fasting is abstaining from food for a certain period of time abstaining from food for a certain period of time. You would abstain from food, the normal times in which you would eat, you would abstain from that food so that you can feast on God. That's important. Some people just fast, but they don't up some of their spiritual activities to help them to connect more deeper with God. You fast from food so that you can feast on God. Now, fasting is kind of an, a, sort of a, a big thing in our culture today. Uh, some of you here might be doing intermittent fasting. I've done it, and I still do it for a very long time. And some of us do that. But we do that primarily to lose weight. You shouldn't, you shouldn't fast for God so that you could lose weight. Although I, I, I think weight is important at some levels, but you're fasting to feast on Jesus. You're fasting, and the purpose of fasting is to really draw closer to Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And Jesus wants you and I to get to that place. God always expected, Jesus took for granted, but he expected that his people would do it. And so I know some of us, we fast during the lentil season, and that's great. Sometimes we fast some things, but maybe some of us don't even fast foods. I get that. But I think Jesus wants us to get to a place that if you're really serious about becoming a spiritual athlete, because God's calling all of us to participate in this game of transforming this world, planet Earth, for the kingdom of God, we have to be willing to take this spiritual practice seriously and fast regularly. Now, for some of you, I do have to mention this, for some of the moms who are nursing a baby right now, uh, it would not be wise for you to fast from food. Uh, for some of you who have underlying health conditions, it would not be wise for you to actually fast solid foods because you have a medical condition. And then if, if, if you fall in those two categories, I want to encourage you to think about fasting something that you love doing about three times a day. That could be checking out your social media, right? It could be maybe abstaining from TV, whatever it might be. Something that you really enjoy doing for three days, for three times a day, and you just don't do it. And during the times when you would maybe do that, pray, connect with God in a deeper way, worship him, whatever that might be, all right? So the purpose of fasting, again, is for you to draw closer to God. In the Bible, the, it's, it's equivalent terms. Fasting was literally synonymous with the phrase, humble yourself before God. That's how you draw closer to God. You and I can't draw closer to God unless we're willing to humble ourselves before God. Nothing will humble us more when we choose to fast and choose that to be a part of our spiritual practice in our lives. 
In the Old Testament and the New Testament, people fasted regularly. The Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays every week. And again, Jesus expected all of his disciples to fast. He expected all of those who called themselves a Christian to fast. The thing, the issue that Jesus had was that we would not get credit for it. And sometimes when you participate in a spiritual practice like fasting, you kind of want recognition. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I mean, you kind of want people to know that you are because you're making a big sacrifice. And to kind of do that in secret, sometimes it's like, what's the point, right? And that's what was happening. These religious leaders who should have had the spiritual maturation to not make it about themselves, when they were fasting, what they were doing was they were disfiguring their face. All right, look at what it says in verse 16. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their face to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That word disfigure in the Greek, it literally means to make one's face so unrecognizable for the purpose of drawing attention to yourself. And that's what the Pharisees did. They did two things to kind of help them to disfigure their faces so that people who saw it would be like, oh, they must be fasting. The first thing was that they wouldn't take showers. They'd wake up with bed hair. They wouldn't really comb their hair. They wouldn't do anything. They look, just look, they didn't look very clean. And whenever that happened, people knew that they were fasting. But the other thing they did, which was a little bit more blatant, was that they would take ashes and they would rub it on their face. And their face would be literally white. And people would know that when their face is covered in ashes, that they are fasting. Jesus wanted his disciples to fast, but he did not want people to fast for themselves. He abhors people doing it for their own self-glory. Jesus wants us to fast so that we can encounter a spiritual breakthrough and that we can draw closer to him. That is the hope. That is what Jesus desires. And so then why though? I mean, some of you, let's just be honest, let's just be real. Some of you say, but I don't know if I want to draw that close to God. Some of you grew up in traditions believing that if you draw closer to God, he may make you do something you don't want to do. So some people are just scared. They're like, I don't want to get that close to God. Because suppose he calls me to some remote place in the world and I got to sleep like in a hut or something like that and, and do things I don't want to do. And so sometimes the devil makes you believe in a lie that God is going to call you to do something that's going to torture your life. Now listen, I believe God calls us to, and he challenges us in every way when he calls us to do certain things. But that's part of life. Anything you choose to do is going to have a challenge. If it doesn't, then you will cease to exist to live. Or you won't really feel like you're living. You're just going to conclude that you're just merely existing but you're not really living. If you truly want to live life, it's going to require quite a bit of you. So anything that God calls you and I to do, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But he's not going to make you do something that's going to make you utterly miserable. That's such a lie that many of you have been convinced of. And so some of you are like, well, I'm not going to fast. I don't want to draw closer to God. Suppose he tells me to do something I don't want to do. It's better to do something that God doesn't want you to do than having Satan tell you to do something that you don't want to do. It's much better. Because when you end up doing the things that God wants you to do, it always leads to life. So then what, why should we fast then? The five, the rewards in which Jesus, he keeps talking about this reward thing. That your father in heaven will give you a reward. I love rewards. Like I'm all about that with credit cards. I love rewards. I love points. I just signed up for the United Quest card. 100,000 points. Miles. If you spend, you know, a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time. I love rewards, right? So Jesus is not just talking about heavenly rewards, which we will get. We will get physical, tangible, heavenly rewards. But he says when we focus on these three righteous acts of, of fasting, praying, and giving, giving generously of our money, he says we're going to get a reward on earth. What are those? I have five things I want to talk about, five rewards or five reasons why we should fast. The first one is this. The first reason why we should fast is so that we can grow in self-control. So that we can grow in self-control. Proverbs 25, 28. 
Proverbs 25, 28. It says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Again, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What is the author trying to help you and I to understand here? What's a city without a wall, especially back in the Old Testament times? They are in a very dangerous position because they have no protection for the enemy. And so what Jesus, what, what, what the author here is trying to help you to understand is that when you and I don't have self-control, we are literally unprotected from Satan. That we put ourselves in a position where we're, it's such a precarious situation because Satan, there is nothing blocking us and Satan. And so what fasting does is that it helps you and I to grow in self-control. That's really one of the best things that we get. That's one of the greatest rewards that we get from fasting. Listen. America is the most obese country in the world. We have a deep addiction with food. A lot of us, including, and I'm preaching to myself here, we don't have much control when it comes to food. Fasting helps you to gain control over that. Fasting reminds you that you say, God, I don't need food to live. I just need you. And I I want you to understand this. If you and I could begin to live our lives with self-control, your Christian life would be at a different place today. Your relationship with God would be at a different place because self-control is everything. If you don't have self-control, you have no walls to protect you from the enemy. You are literally at the enemy's mercy to do whatever he tells you to do. And so why should we fast? What's one of the greatest rewards? Self-control. What it leads to, it leads to a life where you put up a wall where you protect yourself from the temptations of sin. Because without it, we hurt the people we love the most. How many times because we lack self-control in our anger, we've said things, we've done things to hurt the people we love the most. If we don't have self-control in those areas and containing some of our emotions, we will end up doing things to hurt people. If we don't have self-control in the area of our lust and you're married, I guarantee you it will not be very long before you commit adultery on your spouse. That's a lack of self-control. God has called us to be people of God, to have self-control. Why? Because if we don't, we are literally at the mercy of the devil. And one of the greatest gifts that he can give to us today is as we fast, one of the greatest rewards that he gives us is he helps us to grow in self-control. Remember Jesus, on the day before he would be crucified, he was standing trial before the chief priests. They They were accusing him, they were saying all these things, and Jesus was on the trial for his life. Remember the self-control he demonstrated? Jesus didn't say anything. He said but a few words. Because Jesus knew that if he opened his mouth, he knew he could probably convince the chief priest and Pilate. Pilate was yelling at him. He's like, Jesus, I can kill you. Say something. Jesus knew that if he opened his mouth and he talked, he can talk his way out of being crucified. Or at the very least, he could call thousands of legions of angels to come and save him. But Jesus demonstrated, exemplified such deep self-control He stayed quiet. I don't know about you, but it's one of my biggest prayer requests that God would give me self-control every single day because I am such a rambunctious, I I, I think with my emotions many times. To have self-control is one of the hardest things to do as Christians and we can't get there if you're not willing to fast. One of the greatest rewards you can receive from God today is to grow in a little bit of self-control. It doesn't happen unless you fast. I was watching, the. I don't know if any of you saw the documentary on Tiger Woods on HBO Max. It's fantastic. I didn't know too much about Tiger. I just knew some things, of course, that you all know. But I wanted to watch. I watched. It was a two-part series. Tiger Woods, by far, could have been the greatest golfer of all time. 
And it's sad to hear what happened to him several months ago when he got into that bad car crash. But this kid was young, and he was winning majors like it was nothing. He was, he's at, you know, he was aiming to beat Jack's record, 18. He was there. He was, he was going to surpass. He was going to hit the 20s easily. But in that documentary, you see why he fell. No longer he's able to dominate the way he dominated before. It's because Tiger Woods lacks self-control. And when you watch the documentary, you just see how much his life has fallen apart because of his deep addictions with certain sinful patterns in his life that destroyed his family, his marriage, his own life, and really destroyed him in every way. Tiger Woods had the ability to be the greatest golfer in the world, but hear me on this, he didn't have the character to sustain it. He didn't have the self-control to sustain it. Self-control is everything. If we don't have self-control, we cannot succeed at anything because, again, we have no protection from the enemy. What is the greatest, one of the greatest rewards God gives you when you fast? Self-control. I don't know about you, but I need that more in my life, and I hope you do as well. Hope those watching online, you realize how much you need to grow in this area. Because during this pandemic, it's been anything but you having self-control over certain appetites that you've had in your life during this past year, year and a half. And it's about time that we grow in some self-control. Start fasting so that God can bless you with self-control. The second reason why we fast is so that we can repent of our sins. It's so that we can repent of our sins. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 1. This is right after he builds the wall. Look what he does here. It says on October 31st, the people assembled again. And this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners. And they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They got together. They fasted for the primary reason to repent of their sins. Now all of you know, if you're Christians and you've been Christians for a while, that you need to repent so that God can forgive you of your sins. But folks, that's maybe half of what repentance is about. A lot of you think as long as God forgives you, you're good. No, repentance is not just about God forgiving you of your sins. The full definition of repentance is you turning away from your sins and walk the other direction of your sinful, whatever sin that is. That's what repentance is. And when you and I fast, what happens is that God gives you and I self-control so that we can truly repent and turn away from our sinful ways. That's the only way it happens. And that's true repentance. It's how you and I experience true repentance. Not only that God forgives us, but now that we have the ability to turn away and walk the opposite direction of our sins. Listen, I know you know this because I struggle with this. But there are moments where you just don't have a choice. You just do whatever your sinful nature wants. Sin is, listen, sin is very pleasurable, but for a while. And there are moments in your life when you get into sort of this trance, I call it, where you feel like you don't have an option. And you just have to say yes to whatever your body or whatever you desire, whether it be an anger emotion, whatever it might be, shame, lust, whatever it might be. You almost feel like you're at your body's sort of mercy, the devil's mercy, and just do whatever your flesh tells you to do. That's a very dangerous place to be. We fast to gain self-control, but to repent. There, I think there are two extreme Christians. The first extreme Christian is simply this. Uh, is that when you sin, you live in so much guilt, you find your identity in it. That's dangerous. And if that's you, you definitely need to fast so you can have a proper understanding of sin. Sin is not who you, you should never find your identity in sin. Our identity is always found deeply in Jesus Christ. And then there are another type of Christians where when you sin, it's just, ah, eh, it's okay. You really don't give much regard. You just think as long as I pray, God will forgive me and that's it. And if that's you, I hope that you're that other extreme of a Christian where you need to understand the depth of how much sin can destroy your life. Your relationship with God, 
your relationship with other people, and especially your relationship with yourself. Fasting allows you to repent of your sins, meaning you can turn away from your sins, not just receive forgiveness for it. On my first sabbatical, uh, it was kind of like an emergency sabbatical for me. And when I went on that emergency sabbatical, because I almost quit ministry, I was so burnt out, depressed. And uh, on that, I, I picked up a book. You guys know Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I'm so glad that we're teaching that again in end of May. And I want to encourage you, if you have not taken it, you need to take it. It will help you to process your in, inner emotions. And when I started to ex- sort of go deep into the iceberg of my soul, I realized that there was a sin that I just, I had very little control over, and that was anger. Anger controlled me in many ways. And the thing about it was that I was able to control my anger to the point where you couldn't really see it, but I always felt it. You know the Hulk in Avengers? He's like, listen, I'm always angry. You just don't see it, right? Sometimes my family sees it, but you would never really see it. It's not the fact that I lost control of my actions when I got angry, but it's the fact that I felt it all the time. And the anger that I felt, uh, the person that I felt anger towards the most was myself. It was rage, little self-rage towards myself. Like if I forgot my keys, like I went to my car and I forgot my keys in the house, I would just be, I would have like little rage on myself. The things I would say to myself because I forgot to bring the keys, it's just so unhealthy. I start to notice those things. You know, if I forgot my lunch, like before I go to the office, I'll make lunch and then I have it right out. I put my shoes on and then I just leave it right there and I just walk out. And then I get to the office and then I'm like, I think I forgot something and I forgot my lunch. And I'm like, oh, I mean, guys, the rage I felt towards myself of forgetting things like that. And I realized that I had to do battle with that. And so during that time, I fasted for a week. And just saying, God, I need help, please. I I didn't know how to deal with this. I really didn't. And counseling was a real help. But here's what really helped me during the fasting time, how I was able to sort of turn away from the sin of anger, is really during fasting, God showed me that in order for me to have self-control over this issue, I had a choice. I never had a choice before. When I would forget things or do something, I would always just be rageful towards myself. I didn't have a choice. I just defaulted to how I felt. When I fasted, God showed me that I had a choice. Yes, I could get angry at myself or I could not get angry. And so it was really one of those kind of key moments for me. And so like if I would forget my lunch and I'd be in the office in the past, I would, the things I would save myself are awful. I would just say, well, um, it happens. I'm human. I make mistakes. I am capable of making mistakes. I'm not going to get angry. I'll just have to buy lunch today. No big deal, Right? Why do I have to throw myself around the room like emotionally and say terrible things about myself? A choice. Self-control. Really, fasting helps you. If you're struggling with a deep sin that really is destroying you right now, fast. Jesus will give you strength. And hopefully the sins that sometimes you feel like you don't have control over will become a choice. You can choose to do it, yes, but you can also say no. That's huge. To have a choice when it comes to sin that often controls you, That's a game changer. That's how you truly repent. Fasting helps you to get there. Third, third, we fast to seek direction. Right? So one of the greatest rewards that God gives you. When you fast, you draw closer to him. And as you're drawing closer to him, he directs you in your life. It's really cool. Look at verse Acts 13 too. If this didn't happen, we wouldn't be here today. If what this didn't happen, if the disciples weren't fasting, we wouldn't be sitting here in these chairs today. Look what it says in Acts 13 too. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Up until that point, the church was in Jerusalem. Everything, the Christian faith was in Jerusalem. The disciples were fasting because, again, as a disciple, they know that a part of being a disciple is you have to fast regularly. They were fasting and praying, which often accompanies fasting is praying. And then the Holy Spirit guided them and says, bless Saul and Barnabas to do the work that I've called them to do. That is how ministry to the Gentiles happened. And the emphasis of the church was no longer in Jerusalem after a few years. It was starting to move to Gentile territory to places like Antioch. Really cool. Fasting helps you and I to gain greater direction from God. And when God gives you direction, please, please obey it. Because if you don't obey a direction in which God, the disciples didn't obey this direction that the Spirit gave to them, we may not even be here today. But because they did, it changed the world forever. And when God gives us a direction, we got to follow and we got to be faithful to it. But seeking the direction of God, wanting it. I know some of you at a place where you need direction in your life. I need direction in my life all the time. Fast. God will give you direction. It's one of the great rewards. As long as you don't fast where everyone applauds you for doing it and looks at you and you bring glory to yourself, the reward that God will give you if you fast in secret is that he will give you direction. He'll guide you in the terrains of life that are sometimes very difficult, especially during this time as we find ourselves during this pandemic. He really guides you and will help you to navigate through life in that way. And so, uh, you know, you guys know Metro Community Church just as Metro Community Church. Sunita came up here and talked about our vision is transformation, right? Many years ago, when God gave me the vision for Metro Community Church, I was a seminary student. I had no idea what to do. I didn't know what, how to plan a church. I had, no, I had zero ministry experience because I worked in the marketplace before I went to seminary. And some of my friends would say, uh, you have no ministry experience and you're going to plan a church. Basically what they were saying was this, what makes you think you can do this? I don't, I believe I couldn't do it. And so there was a time in seminary, I didn't fast regularly. But I spent three days fasting with another person who helped me with this church plan. Her name is Ju Hong. And we kind of like on the, during the days we got together and we fasted and prayed. We said, God, we need your guidance. I know we, we, Metro Community Church, what is it going to look like? What's the vision of the church? What are the values of the church? What's the mission and all those things? And in those three days, God was, help, God was able to help us to understand and guide us through the planning process. And so you hear this word transformation. It came out of a time of fasting and praying where God directed us, where that's our one word vision statement, but the sentence is the sentence of our vision is bringing life transformation uh, through community shaped by God, people, and the culture. That's our vision statement. It still stands today. Our, three core, our four core values that allows our vision statement to happen is the four R's, we call it. To be a relevant church to the unchurched. To have authentic relationships with each other. To reflect the image of Jesus Christ, not because we look like him, but because we act and love like him. And the last core value is to respond to the needs of the hurting. Those are the four core values that Jesus sort of built this church on. And so spiritual guidance is huge. Fasting and praying helps you to get greater clarity in where God might be moving in your life and it will help you. If you need direction today, if you feel like you're lost and you don't know where you're going, fast and pray. Amen. Seek God. He'll guide you through that process. One of the best rewards he gives us. The fourth reward, the fourth, re fourth reason why we need to fast is so that he can give us strength to endure a difficult season of life. 
hear me on this. As a Christian, you need to know this. Believing in God does not mean that you are not going to encounter difficult situations in life. That's not what it means to be a Christian. We are. We live in a broken world. Anything you do in life, whatever, whatever you might believe in, we will encounter difficult situations. So God is not going to necessarily take away or protect us from difficult situations from happening. But what he'll do is he'll give you strength to endure. And when you and I fast, he gives us strength to endure. A season in our life. That might be hard. Esther 4.16. Remember the story of Esther. Let me just set it up before we read this. Esther was the queen of Persia. She was a powerful lady. Well, Haman, who's the governor, got, a, got approval from the king to literally commit genocide on the people of God. Everyone in Susa. It would be a genocide of mass, a mass proportion. Well, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, heard about it. And Mordecai says, hey, Esther, can you help us? Because, like, you're a queen. Esther is like, I can't go to the king. If I go to the king, he's going to kill me. Like, you can't go to the king uninvited, even if you're married to him back in those days. You could die. And so Mordecai says, what? It's like, do you think just because you live in the palace that you're going to be protected from this? You think God's going to just protect you? He said, Esther, God will raise somebody else. And then he says this amazing quote that many of you know. He says, Esther, who knows? Maybe God has put you in this position for such a time as this. And then how does Esther respond? Read verse 16 of chapter 4. Look at what it says here. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and I perish, I perish. And if I perish, I perish. That is one of the most powerful statements that you should try to internalize. Because when you fast, notice Esther didn't say, hey, pray and fast for me that I don't die. Pray and fast for me so that the king raises his scepter so that he shows me grace. She doesn't do that. She says, pray and fast for me and I will do the same so that God can give me the strength to endure so that if I die, I die. That's powerful. And so some of you might be going through a real difficult situation in your life right now. Don't pray and fast that God would remove it. But sometimes those challenges, if you squeeze every ounce of wisdom from it, you can really grow. It can lead to a tremendous amount of maturation in your life. And so for many ways, rather than asking God to remove it, pray and fast that God will give you strength to endure. That's what you do. It's one of the greatest rewards, that God will give you the strength to deal with a difficult situation in your life. And don't just pray and fast by yourself. What I love about Esther is she said, get everyone in Susa to fast for me. Solicit others, those you love, those you care about, those you know that love Jesus. Say, will you fast with me? I'm going through a real hard time. Will you fast for me? Whenever I'm going through a hard time, I call my soulmates and I just say, hey, bro, I'm going to fast. Can you join me? I don't feel bad about it. Because I do it for them. And they do it for me. They said, absolutely, I'll fast for you. I'll fast with you. Pray that God will give you strength to endure a difficult season in your life. God is not about removing those things, but he's about giving you strength to endure. It's a real powerful truth. We've done that so many times in the history of our church. Where we've come together for a time of fasting and praying as a church so that God could guide us. And then he can give us strength to endure. So that we can draw closer to him as a congregation. Pray for that. The very last reward that we gain, the very last reason why we should fast is to gain spiritual authority. To gain spiritual authority. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Now this is right after Jesus is baptized in water. 
Remember that? And then John baptizes him, and then God says, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased with. Directly after that happens, look at what it says in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Why? Why did after when God said, this is my son, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased with, why did the spirit then take him into a desert and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? You've got to ask yourself the question, why? Why? Why would God do that? Because Jesus needed to gain spiritual authority. He didn't have the spiritual authority to defeat Satan yet. And when did Satan attack him? After the 40 days. Some, some people will say, some pastors will say, Satan attacked him at his weakest state. No, no, no. He might have been at his weakest state physically, but spiritually, Jesus was on fire. He was on fire. He had the spiritual authority. And you saw how he dealt with the attacks of Satan. Listen, you need self-control to protect you from Satan, but you need spiritual authority to defeat Satan. You get that? You need self-control to protect yourself from the sinful, your sinful nature that Satan will often tempt you with. But you need spiritual authority to defeat Satan. If you don't have spiritual authority, you cannot defeat Satan. And here's what you need to know here. All right, hear me on this. A disciple who does not have spiritual authority is an impotent disciple. A disciple who has no spiritual authority or who does not want spiritual authority, doesn't even look for spiritual authority, is an impotent disciple. The thing about it is that every single one of you has spiritual authority at some level. Some have it more dynamic than others, but the reality is that we all have it at some level. And Jesus, the reason why he expected all of his disciples to fast is so that they can gain spiritual authority. Fasting is the greatest spiritual practice you and I can participate in to gain more spiritual authority. Your salvation is free. Everything Jesus has done for you leads to your salvation, meaning you can go to heaven when you die. You can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing you do can create that position. Jesus did it. But please understand, spiritual authority is 100% work-based. What you put into it will determine what you get out of it. And there is nothing that helps you to grow more in spiritual authority than fasting. Jesus wanted his disciples to, to have spiritual authority. Why? Why does Jesus want you to have spiritual authority today? Is so that you can demonstrate his power. Authority is you having the right to use somebody else's power. A police officer has authority. He has the power from the government to exercise that authority. Authority is giving you the right to use somebody else's power. When you have spiritual authority, you are given the right to use God's authority, God's power on his behalf. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, please understand me on this. You have to know that God wants to use you to demonstrate his power because how people are going to know who he is. And we see it in the gospels all the time. And now Jesus and his disciples, how they ministered. They didn't just proclaim the gospel. They didn't just teach people the ways of Jesus Christ. They demonstrated his power. And that established the kingdom of God here on earth. And as Christians, if we want to be spiritual athletes, spiritual LeBron James, we have to grow in this area. Nothing helps us to grow in this area more than, spiritual, than fasting. Look at Matthew 10, 1. This is the disciples. This is the first ministry that he empowers the disciples to do. Look what Jesus does. We're going to look at Matthew 10, 1. Then we're going to jump over to verse 7 and 8. All right? Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Verse 7. As you go to the disciples, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. 
Jesus says this to all of us. It's not just to the disciples. And when you and I fast, we're putting ourselves in a position where we can grow in spiritual authority. Why? So that we can heal the sick. Why? So that we can deliver people from demons. Why? So that the people with leprosy can be healed. That's demonstration of God's power. And God wants us to demonstrate his power. It's one of the best ways now people come to realize who Jesus Christ is. Preaching the gospel is huge. Demonstrating his power is also another important thing that he wishes you and I would participate more in. And nothing gives us more spiritual power. We gain more, nothing will allow us to gain more spiritual authority than when we fast. When you could do it in secret, God will give you a gift. It will be his spiritual authority. And you can use that to defeat Satan. Because the world is just dying today because Satan is winning. He needs his disciples to rise up, to put on their armor, and to go to war with the enemy. And when we have spiritual authority, we can. So a few years ago, uh, fasting for me, I've taken it more seriously than I've ever taken it in my life. I've never really taken it seriously before. Uh, I did it, you know, once or twice a year. But since I started this doctoral program, I really have taken fasting a lot more seriously, and I do it regularly in my life. And uh, after my first semester of my class um, that I took of, in, in this doctoral program that I was in, I decided to fast for 40 days. You guys know this. Some of you know this who've been a part of the church. And, uh, and the reason why I fasted was for two things. Number one, during this class, I realized how much shame governed my life. During this class, I realized that shame was the root of my anger. And it was one of those crazy moments for me where God just broke me. And I had no idea that I was being controlled by the sin of shame. And so I fasted and I just said, God, please help me because, you know, shame is destructive. Shame is so destructive because when you feel shame, it doesn't teach you that you're capable of making mistakes. It teaches you that you are the mistake. That's why shame is so destructive. And so I just, I just prayed and I said, God, help me to overcome this. Let this just become a choice, not a default thing that I fall into all the time. Grateful for that. But the other reason why I, I fasted for 40 days, and this was interesting because before I did that, before I started fasting, I knew I had to get permission from Jenny. And, you know, it's, that's a long time. And so I just said to her, I said, hey, honey, can I fast for uh, 40 days? And she didn't even think twice. She said no. I said, why? She said, because if you fast for 40 days, I know you're going to use that as an excuse not to do house chores. <laughs> I said, what? I was like, no, I won't. Do I promise you if you let me fast for 40 days, I will not skip out on my chores. I won't use my hunger as an excuse not to do housework. And so she said, okay, then, if you promise me, then you can fast for 40 days. And so I did. And I'm going to be honest, you can check whether they're right there. Those 40 days, I didn't skip out on any house chores. I did even more, okay? I did more than that was expected of me. The coolest thing was my kids noticed it. They said, Dad, you were never angry during those 40 days. And then, you know, Christian is like, you should fast more often for 40 days. <laughs> It'd be good for you to fast 40 days more often. Like, oh, once in a lifetime, buddy, once in a lifetime. But the second reason why I chose to fast was really spiritual authority. Up until that point, you know, you guys know that I do my best to preach the word of God to you guys. The best I can. That's all I focus my ministry on. But as I was looking through the gospels and I was in this class, I realized that there's another part of what God wants of his disciples. And that is to exercise his spiritual authority if God were to give it. And so that's why I did it. That's why I fasted for 40 days. I said, God, please help me. And every day I prayed for that. I said, God, give me more spiritual authority. As long as my character and my intimacy with you can sustain it. I don't want more than my character and my intimacy with you can handle. And in, those, in that time, and during this time over the past two years, like I've 
prayed more for people to be healed supernaturally than I've ever prayed before in my life. A lot of them haven't been healed, but actually some have. And it's been pretty cool to see that. I've prayed for several dozen people. I've delivered them from demonic oppression. I've never done that in my life. Several dozen people that I've been able, I've been trained by some professors and they've helped me to sort of understand how to do this. And I've been doing these deliverance sessions. And uh, I can't believe the things that I've seen and witnessed. And getting emails from some of them, because some of them are from all over the world, and getting emails from them saying thank you because I've never felt this free before in my life. More than all of that, the thing that I'm just so grateful for during this season of my life because fasting has become a part of my spiritual practice is the intimacy that I have with God. It's this ability to draw closer to him so that I can live continuously in his ways. And I'm grateful. And I'm grateful that this has been a spiritual practice. I'm so glad that I'm preaching this one this Sunday because honestly, this, if, I, if I taught this two years ago, I don't know what I'd share with you. But because I've been trying to live it for the past two years, I've seen the beauty and the benefits that when you take fasting seriously, God can do something wonderful in your life and through your life. Amen. So are you going to be a spiritual athlete or are you going to be a spiritual couch potato? That's your choice. It really is. And I, I just pray that you would choose to be a spiritual athlete because if you choose the latter, you're not going to even know God is powerful. You won't even know it. You won't even really believe in God because to access and know and, and have your faith grow is to really say, I'm going to commit myself to being a true disciple. Fasting allows you to go deeper in your walk with the Lord, to draw closer to him so that you can grapple with what's going on in the heart of God. And because of that, then you will begin to live your life according to what God feels in his heart. My hope is that you would choose that path. Let's pray. So let's make a commitment. I want you to commit one day this week that you will fast. Pick that day, write it down, and fast the entire day. Just drink water. You won't die, I promise you. In fact, most doctors say it's actually fantastic if you fast from water. Just drink water for a day. It will help you a lot. Pick a day. But more than just a day, commit yourself to practicing this spiritual practice so that you can continue to grow and be the kind of disciple that he wants you to become so that you can demonstrate self-control, so that you would truly repent of your sins, so that you will allow God to direct you in your life, that you will be able to find strength to endure a very difficult season. And this has been a difficult season for a lot of you. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost jobs, lost relationships. Some of you have lost yourself during this time. And you need to fast so that God can give you strength to endure this season. And the last one is to gain spiritual authority so that God can use you to demonstrate his power. So would you commit to God and say, God, I'm going to do this regularly. And may I be able to encounter all that I have that you want from me when I do fast. So go to God and pray and then I'll close this.
Lord, thank you that you don't see us as just people that should be couch potatoes. But you call us to be spiritual athletes, to rise up, to train, to work hard, to know that you've called us, not just to be free from committing sins that would destroy us, but that you've called us to defeat the enemy, that you've called us to grow in spiritual authority. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that are watching, to my brothers and sisters that are here who have committed themselves from this day forward to make fasting a normal part of the spiritual practice. God, I pray that you would show yourself strong in their lives when they do. And that for those who have committed to fast one day this week for a 24-hour period, God, I pray that you would show up, that you would speak to them, that you would guide them. And for those who might want to fast longer, God, I pray you would stretch them and that you would speak to them as well. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you raise up a new generation of people that would see themselves as the special forces in which you're tapping on the shoulder to go out and to establish your kingdom by demonstrating your power? And so, God, use Metro to be a place where people will be healed. People would be set free from demonic oppression, that the sick will be healed. I pray that Metro would be that kind of place because it's people take discipleship very seriously. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for teaching this 2,000 years ago. Thank you for reminding us that you always expected us to fast. You never thought that we would take it for granted. And so God, help us to take it seriously. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a communication card. Can you please flip it over or, uh, I mean, uh, on your app, some next steps that we want you to take. Because, again, it's about making these things concrete in your life. The first, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, but you want to do that today, just check that off. We'll get back to you. We, we will. We'll connect with you. Second, uh, I hope you committed to fast. Just check it out. Say, Peter, I'm going to fast one day this week. We'll pray for you. We'll pray that God will be with you. Because for some of you, that could be really hard. And I, I totally acknowledge that. It's not going to be easy. And so we'll pray for you that God will be with you during that time. All right. A third, I will attend a call to Covenantal Solidarity next Sunday on May 23rd at 2 p.m. This is going to be a historical moment, probably for Bergen County. This is the first time Asian and black pastors are coming together and asking the church, the church, capital C, to come together and that we would stand against racial injustice. It's not going to happen. Racial injustice is not going to go away in this country unless the church is actively involved. Because if I'm going to be serious, I'll share this next Sunday at the rally. The church is the greatest institution that perpetuates racism today. And so the church has to stand up. we got to bear in solidarity. The black and Asian pastors are coming together and we're calling Christians to come together and make a covenant with each other that we would come together and fight and continue to be about reconciliation, particularly when it comes to race. All right? So please join us. Mark that. It'll be like an hour. It won't be longer than that. All right? So please just check that off and we hope to see you there next week. All right, all of you there. Fourth, I will register for next Sunday's in-person service at 10.30 a.m. here. You know, CDC says some pretty bold things this week. They say we don't have to put on a mask even when we're indoors. We're going to be very cautious with that because, again, it's not about you, but we want to make sure that people around you are going to feel safe. We care about our neighbors, all right? But as things are coming back to some level of normalcy, let me encourage you to come back home and worship in person. Experience the flesh with each other, worshiping together in an incarnational way. It'd be beautiful. Hopefully you can. Registration will end every Thursday night at 11.59 p.m. All right? So make sure you register before next Sunday.